Hey, this is Vanessa. I'm the Prevention Services Coordinator at King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, or KSARC. This is another episode of Building Resilience, a podcast with the purpose of equipping people with what they need to end sexual violence. It probably comes as no surprise that both adults and young folks alike are telling us how much they are struggling right now, especially with their mental health. It's hard to fathom exactly how much the pandemic is impacting all of us when we're still deep in it. For KSARC, we've been working with teens and families who are working to heal from a sexual assault amidst a whirlwind of so many other hardships. And as an educator, I'm in classrooms with young folks who, when I ask them what their most pressing issues facing teens is, overwhelmingly tell me depression, anxiety, and mental health issues. As parents and caregivers, of course you're not all expected to have the expertise and training of a mental health provider, so it can be really tricky to know what's typical teenage developmental behavior versus something that may be more concerning. Either way, teens need a caring support system. My family services specialist colleagues who often help parents and caregivers in understanding how to best support young ones and teenagers has some tips that they'd like to share with you all. This episode is a little different from previous ones in that we have tangible takeaways scattered throughout that conversation, so there's a lot of good stuff. Just as a heads up, there is general mention of sexual assault and abuse, as well as brief discussion of body image challenges, which may be triggering for those working through those issues. Hi, I'm Deanne Yamamoto, and I'm in charge of programming at KSARC, and I think think we want to talk about our kids. Our, my kids are older. They're adults. They're young adults. So I have moved through the teenage years. So I'll talk a little bit about that. I'm Erin um, and I am a bilingual family services specialist here at KSARC. Um, I also have two um, kids who are adults now who already went through the teenage years. And then I have right now um, four kids that are in the preteen to early teen years now. Hi, I'm Karen, and I am a family service specialist, and I have a soon-to-be teenager. And I'm Marie, and I have a wide range of kids. I have a 27-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 13-year-old. My name is Vanessa. Um, I'm the prevention services coordinator, and I am not a parent, though I have a dog. And that counts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are going to talk about, if you haven't already caught on, a little bit about adolescent development. As you know, we work with parents whose kids have been sexually assaulted at some point in their life. And so oftentimes the question comes up, I don't know if what I'm dealing with is related to the sexual assault or if this is just normal teenage stuff. So we want to talk a little bit about what normal teenage stuff is, some areas you might want to be concerned about or might need to be concerned about that may be as a result of the sexual assault, but also, honestly, how it all blurs together, because it is hard to know what impacts what. And so we kind of just want to point out some things, areas of concern where you might want to explore a little bit more, but also to give you some sort of tips on how to deal with some of the normal teenage stuff that comes up. And we love the adolescent years, honestly. The teenage years, I think people feel challenged by. But honestly, when you think of parenting through the years, this is really the moment 
that we are seeing a lot of our efforts um, paying off because our kids are growing in their independence and our kids are developing values and ideas that are uniquely theirs. And so all that we've done up to this point begins to blossom at this age. And it's a very fun experience if we look at it that way. So let's talk a little bit about the areas that might be changing during adolescent and might be of concern. And we've broken things down into three different areas. So we're going to talk about physical, emotional, and sort of social cognitive changes that happen. Let's focus first on the physical. What are some of the physical changes that are going on during these years? Uh, Well, to start off, you know, some of the main things that we notice first about the adolescent years is changes in our in our um, children's sleep habits. Um, They actually are doing a lot of growing, um, both in their body and in their brain. And, and so they actually need a lot of sleep. Um, And, you know, their, um, you know, their sense of kind of when they get that sleep that they need might be changing. You know, it's, it's not unusual for teens to, um, you know, have more energy later at night and feel like staying up a little bit later. Um, And then, you know, especially on weekends or days that they don't have something going on early, maybe being able to sleep in a lot later than they used to. So at what point should we be concerned about that? Because I would think depression would be an issue that we worry about when our kids have been sexually assaulted or any kind of trauma comes about. And so sleeping does become a concern or oversleeping, too much sleeping. Definitely. You know, we can, you know, we can look at it from the point of view that, um, you know, if it's something that, you know, we're noticing that their sleep habits are interfering, you know, with kind of their their day-to-day activities, you know, they're not able to pay attention in school, you know, or, um, you know, they're, you know, sleeping during the afternoon and not able to sleep at all at night, um, or they're just sleeping all the time, you know, um, and, and not maybe participating in, you know, other kinds of activities that they usually like, you know, that would be concerning. Um, there, there are some things we can do, you know, to help support them through this, um, you know, by, for example, you know, setting really clear boundaries about, you know, our sleep habits, you know, maybe having rules about, you know, not having access to devices or turning the Wi-Fi off, you know, after a certain time of night, um, you know, to help them be able to kind of get rid of that temptation to keep responding or keep, you know, looking at their notifications um, during the night so they can sleep. Um, And, you know, and then, and then kind of, you know, not, um, not kind of putting them down when they, you know, when they want to sleep in, right? Like sometimes we might, you know, go so far as to say, oh, why are you being so lazy, you know, waking up at noon on a Saturday? Um, But really, it's not about being lazy, really, it's, it's natural, you know, their, their bodies are doing a lot of growing. um, And they may be needing to catch up on sleep that they couldn't get, you know, during the week. What are some other physical changes that are going on? I mean, when I talk to um, teens or preteens, 
there's a lot of conversation about how much their body is changing and I guess the insecurities that come with that, maybe the differences in how their friends are developing versus how they are. So I, I try to normalize that, you know, everyone's different, but I can totally understand. I was there. I had insecurities. And that not everybody grows the same way, right? And some boys will grow taller than the other and it's just not their time. But I think it's normalizing it and, and having that conversation with um, the kids about, you know, that their body is growing, about hygiene and about, you know, um, how their body is changing. Um, and that welcoming them to come and talk to you about that. And it's okay to bring these conversations up to your children about, to your teen about how they're going to start growing hair on their legs and, you know, and offering to help on them how to shave that, you know, if that's a question. Because again, kids don't know how to approach their parents about things like that sometimes. And I think it's during this time that teenagers get to express themselves through how they look and what they're wearing and what color of hair they're going to have and things like that. So it's about allowing them to express themselves. I think it's a really important part of it. And, you know, as parents being willing to kind of make that first step to have conversations about, you know, the changes that, you know, their body might be going through, um, you know, in a way that's, um, that's not kind of calling them out, you know, like if we're noticing that maybe they have, you know, more body odor because, you know, they're going through puberty and now they, you know, have to think a little bit more about their hygiene or taking, you know, more frequent showers or using deodorant. Um, you know, there's ways that we can talk about that to normalize it and not kind of try to make them feel bad. Like, oh, how come you didn't know, you know, that you should have been using deodorant this whole time or something. Um, but just recognizing that, they may not feel that comfortable to initiate that conversation with us. And so we really need to, you know, to put ourselves out there and, and take that first step to let them know um, that we're okay talking about those things. Yeah. And educating them about the physiological changes that are going on, which is why, oh, you know, before you didn't need to wear deodorant, but now our bodies are changing and it just excretes these odd little odors <laughs> and just really normalizing it and, and not calling attention to it in a negative way, but just say, you know, that's one of the things about going, uh, hitting adolescence. And as a, as a parent, we can always help with that, like buying them deodorant and nice shower gels and body lotions. <laughs> Make it even that. a treat, huh? Let's go shopping for this and you pick out the scent that you mm. like. Yeah, it could be a fun time. And I think, too, when I talk to students, another, another physical change that's going on, um, I guess, you know, just because their bodies are growing, um, and they have kind of this heightened sense of what their body should be looking like, right? Like maybe they're looking at Instagram or TikTok and they're seeing these people that are like, you know, stereotypically conventionally beautiful or pretty. And that makes them a little more, I think, insecure about how they do look. 
Which I think can tie into their diet because their diets change anyway just because they're growing and they might be eating more and their body's going to be changing because of that and plus because they are just changing. Um, we have to be careful that we give good messages um, about body image for sure. Um, and you always want to, you know, you always want to have good discussions with your teenager about having healthy choices and making good, good choices about what they're eating. But at the same time, I think we all know that teenagers like to eat junk mm -hmm. food as well. Um, and again, it's that thing about them not being shamed right. if they do so, but just offering choices and information, I think, is what's really important. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, Karen, because it is, it's about being deliberate with the messages that we um, give to our children, right? And about um, our choice of words, because again, it could be perceived as negative. And so being a mindful and being aware of, you know, instead of saying something like, you're eating too much, oh, I'm glad that you're eating, you know, do you want some more strawberries? Or do you want bananas to go along with those chips? Right. Um, but being mindful, too, I think it's important because they are they are um, insecure. You know, some teens will be insecure with their bodies and, you know, and comparing themselves to what they see on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook or TikTok. Right. I remember that so clearly when I was a teenager, I was told I was fat and that was the worst thing that could have happened to me and had a real impact on my on the rest of my life, you know, and still probably has to this day. I think that's true. And I think we can also say messages about ourselves that are going to teach our children, right? I mean, if you say, oh, I feel so fat. Oh, that's going to make me fat. Oh, this, oh, that about ourselves. So it's not a direct message to our kids, but they're picking up on that messaging that we're saying. Let's move on to emotional. What are some of the emotional changes that are happening during adolescence that are normal? And then what of, might be of concern because of the sexual assault? So it can be really normal, you know, for, for kids going through adolescence, you know, to experience a wide range of mood swings, um, you know, to where one minute you're trying to talk to them and they're just really distant and want nothing to do with you and kind of grumpy. And 20 minutes later, they might be just fine, you know, and, and happy and laughing and, you know, happy to have a conversation with you. Um, and, and that's perfectly normal. You know, they're, they're going through a lot of changes, um, you know, hormonally at this time and in their brain. And, you know, they're, um, they're also just, you know, a lot of times, you know, I think we think that our kids have it easy, you know, because like we're the ones that's the grown up and we have to deal with our grown up concerns about, you know, working and finances and everything um, and that kids don't have any stresses. But, you know, kids have a lot going on, too, you know, especially in adolescence, you know, they're starting to think more about um, their own identity and, and how like other people see them. And so that impacts, you know, them emotionally, you know, they might, you know, be, you know, worried about something in one moment. And, and, and so their emotions are kind of, um, you know, big in that moment. 
Um, so one of the things, you know, that we can do as parents, um, is, is not react so strongly to every little, um, change in, in their emotions and every little mood swing that they might have. Um, you know, if we just have a little patience and, you know, we see them in a moment when they just seem like they're grumpy and they don't really want to talk about anything and we just let it go, you know, and then, and then come back to it, you know, maybe. 20 minutes, maybe an hour later, maybe later in the day and, you know, and try again, but keep trying, you know, then we'll, we'll catch them in a moment when they're probably, you know, feeling better and feeling more up. And maybe they're even willing to talk about what was going on for them, you know, in that other moment. I think my experience with my own soon to be teenager is when he's is having a huge emotion, a big emotion. It's about me being calm and bringing that emotion, that his emotional response back down because I think that really helps, so that we're not again not reacting to it, but taking a deep breath and seeing where they're at. I think is really important, and I think um, I think we've said this before, but behavior is also form of communication so we have to find out what are what what the kids communicating to us you know what is behind that because they might not have the words to express themselves um but it's through our behavior so we have to be bigger <laughs> the bigger person shall we say to to find out what's exactly what's yeah going i on. do think there's a time to step into it and have a conversation but kind of know when the time to step out and wait for a different time, but it's probably always wise to kind of revisit how they're doing and how they're feeling and, you know, just letting them know that you love them and care for them so that you're opening up that line of communication. Because I think what you said earlier, Karen, where that behavior or that emotion really can be a window into something more serious. So when we're talking about, you know, is it the sexual assault? Is it just normal adolescence? You know, it's okay to start that conversation with them, too. And along with all those emotions and the mood swings, right, comes sometimes they come to us with attitude, right? Um, Whether it's rolling their eyes, stomping their foot, or, you know, not necessarily back talking, but those big sighs, right? And so sometimes... Um, it's knowing that again, you know, at this age, um, Karen, you hit it. They may not know the link, the emotion, what they're feeling inside. Right. But yet we, as parents tend to, and it's hard and I recognize it's, it, we tend to focus on that behavior, but just remembering, you know, you know, I use this tip a lot. I use it a lot. Stop, drop and roll. Right. Um, and you know, stop what you're thinking. Stop you know, thinking those negative thoughts about their attitude, you know, drop what you were going to say, you know, drop your heart rate, um, drop, um, you know, when I say drop what you were going to say, drop like notice if you were going to take notice of their behavior instead of saying, you know, stop rolling your eyes or why are you sighing? What's going, what's wrong with you? You know, and just roll it with it, right? Talk about it, you know, you know, I see that this is distressing you or I th- this is making you upset or sad or just naming that emotion and just rolling it with it. 
in the end, you made a point about going back to it. They may not be ready to talk with you at that moment, right? And just going back to revisit it is so key, giving them that space and opportunity, you know, to talk. And again, it's it's about also timing, right? Um, they may be, they're still trying to process everything that they're going through and they may not be ready to talk to you, not quite yet. Yeah. And I like what you brought up, you know, about, um, you know, whatever emotion they're feeling, you know, they're expressing it through their behavior, whether that's rolling mm-hmm. their eyes or sighing deeply or slamming the door. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, as adults, like if we think about if we've ever been in a moment, you know, where we're just coming home and really grumpy because traffic was awful and we had a bad day at work and we come inside like, oh, and then our, you know, our family member asks us, gosh, what's wrong with you? What's going on? You know, why did you just slam the door? You know, it it can feel like an affront because, you know, to us, we're thinking, well, obviously I'm angry or obviously I'm frustrated because that's why I just slammed the door. You know, don't you realize that? And so kind of by, you know, by asking them questions like, well, what's wrong with you? How come you're doing that? You know, it's um, it's not recognizing that they were actually already trying to communicate to us what was going on mm-hmm. with them, you know, in their behavior. And so by just taking a good guess, an educated guess, you know, and gosh, it looks like you it looks like you might be upset, you know, it looks like you might be angry, you know, or sad or whatever it is Um, that, you know, that's just a more open-ended way of kind of allowing the conversation to continue about that. Um, But it's also not asking them a question about it, you know, so if they don't feel like talking about it right, then they have an out, you know, they don't have to answer. Um, But, you know, they had that helpful kind of naming, you know, of what the emotion is they're probably feeling, you know, and that kind of normalizes it for them um, because they may not have really connected that in their mind already. So in, you know, in terms of the intensity of their emotions, you know, it can be really normal in adolescence for just all their feelings to be quite intense, you know, on, you know, really great feelings, you know, with like elation, excitement, happiness, um, you know, and then and then frustration and sadness and anger, um, they just might feel it more intensely during this age. Um, but some of the things that might be, you know, stand out as areas of concern, you know, is if we notice that, you know, they just really just are not happy or excited about anything anymore. Like just nothing, you know, they're not interested in anything, you know, just kind of across the board, you know. Um, you know, or on the other side, you know, if they're kind of feeling just like constantly irritable, constantly, you know, every little thing that anybody in the family says or friends, just they get upset, you know, just with any little thing. Um, a lot of times, you know, those can be signs, you know, that there might be depression going on. Um, and irritability is something that we don't always think of as a symptom of depression, but especially in teens, it's, it's a huge symptom. Um, you know, so if we're seeing that kind of across the board, um, you know, that might be an area to pay a little more attention to. This is probably where we want to pay attention to, to how, how long that lasts, you know, how in, in, with most adolescents, the irritability and those 
mood swings, they, they move. They're not like in a constant state of that, right? So you see them with their friends and, and you see them in a different, a, a happier mood or even with you. And so it, you, you want to kind of see that ebbing and flowing when it sticks around a long time. That's where you might want to be concerned and pay a little bit more attention to. I don't know that you need to intervene, but sort of tuck it in the back of your mind that you're going to pay attention to it. Um, We were talking earlier about a concept called the three P's. How persistent is it? Meaning how long does it last? How pervasive do you see it in multiple areas of their life? Because oftentimes, you know, how somebody acts at home is different than at at their job or at school or with their friends or with their relatives. So is it happening everywhere? So you just see it everywhere. And then does it seem problematic? Does the severity seem problematic? So you want to sort of pay attention in that way and begin to gauge, you know, what's normal adolescence, what's not. So let's move on to social what social changes are going on during this adolescent period? Sad for us parents, but they don't want to be around us anymore. They want to be with their friends. So, you know, and that's, that can be hard for us parents because we want our kids to be with us all the time, forever. <laughs> but I think, you know, as they're around with their friends, you still have opportunities to negotiate with your with your teenager about, you know, for the most part, you can be with your friends all the time, but just one night a week, we're going to have family dinner or we're going to have, watch a family movie because really that's part of, that's what we've done all our lives. This is part of our family values and we want to keep that family value going, but we're not stopping you from seeing your friends and being with your friends. It's just one one hour or two hours a week and and the rest is up to you you can be with your friends I think is one way of negotiating with them they'll appreciate it too I think and it's really helpful you know when we let our 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 teens know that we understand that they want to spend time with their friends and that's okay that's normal you know Um, and so that, you know, when we are negotiating like family time and other activities, um, you know, that, you know, we're not, you know, we're not kind of shaming them for not prioritizing their family anymore, you know, because I think that's sometimes when we take it personally, you know, like, oh, how come, you know, now my teen doesn't want to spend time, you know, with our family or with their siblings or with me, um, then we can kind of think that, there's something wrong with their value system, you know, that they're not, you know, wanting to, to be with their family when in reality, you know, their value system is changing and that's a normal part of adolescence. It's, it's a normal part of their development, you know, so that they can, they can learn and, and experiment with their place in the world, you know, and, and understand how they can interact socially with peers. And it's actually really important as part of their development. Um, so finding that balance um, between, you know, giving them, helping them have opportunities, you know, to spend times with peer-aged um, people and then, and then, you know, still keeping, you know, or, or creating, you know, some of those um, family time kind of opportunities. 
I think we all have different values too, even from parent to parent. So you just kind of have to determine what yours is and where you're going to bend and where you're going to, you know, fluctuate and negotiate with your child. So when Karen said, yeah, um, you can be with your friends, but one night a week have dinner with me, I I gasped a little bit because my rule was um, we always have family dinner together. So you can be with your friends before, you can be with your friends after, but we eat dinner together. Well, my kids found a loophole in that. Next thing I know, there's two, three, four friends having dinner with us. But that was (laughs) fine. I enjoyed having them over for dinner. So they held that value, and then they were creative with it and asked their friends over. I'm laughing at that, Deanne, because... See, I've learned something already. (laughs) And... For me, we're still having family dinners every night, so I haven't quite reached that part yet. But I was just, <laughs> I was trying to give it as much space. I'm laughing, <laughs> but I like I want all the friends here <laughs> because also at the same time for my family, faith, our faith is important. It's a value, right? And so my kids always say, can so-and-so spend the night and -and so-and-so spend the night? And I'm like, okay, we're going to mass. We're going to church, right? So, of course, we thankfully, we have a big car that we could take two extra people, three extra people, because they do end up coming with us to mass. So it's that negotiation, right? We bring other, my friends, um, their friends um, to church with us because my kids know that it's important. And so... um, and so that's why I'm laughing at you, DM, because it is, it's so true. You find, they find ways, they find loopholes, but they still, um, knowing that their values are shifting and that's part of adolescence, right? Their interests, their ideas, you know, who they are, they're finding themselves separate from who we are. But again, it's balancing and embracing who they're evolving to be, right? And allowing that space to find who they are, um, you know, when they're growing up, they, we helped them form their identity. And as they're going into adolescence, they're trying to find out who they are. They're going to be an adult in a few years, right? And so giving them that space to formulate, you know, who am I going to be? You know, what are my values? Um, What are my ideas? What are, how do I feel about my faith or, you know, my interests? and allowing them but no and but I think one thing that's important is allowing them that space to talk about it and having those conversations with our kids about you know and acknowledging it is going to change and not Erin you brought up about shaming them not shaming them to that it's okay to have a difference in um, interest and not wanting to play soccer anymore you know Yeah, and you make a great point, you know, that they're trying to find their identity. And so, you know, it can take us by surprise sometimes as parents, you know, that maybe, you know, maybe we notice that they're not even friends with the same, you know, kids that they were friends with all through elementary school, you know, because as they become, go into adolescence, maybe you know, they don't have the same things in common anymore. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're finding new, new friendships. Um, they're also, you know, might have, you know, kind of very different, you know, opinions and ideas and values from, from us, you know, and that might take us by surprise. They might 
they might not want to, you know, go with us, you know, to, um, you know, like participate in activities with, you know, with our faith anymore, or they might, um, you know, they might have different political ideas, or they might get really passionate, you know, about, um, you know, different causes, you know, um, with the environment, or, you know, different things that might be really important to them as they're figuring out their identity. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, the, their identity, you know, they're starting to be able to verbalize and talk about, you know, who they are and how they feel and, and what their place is in this world. So that might be when they start to talk about, you know, things like their sexual orientation, you know, or their gender identity. Um, whereas when they were younger, they really were just kind of reflecting like whatever we kind of were teaching them, you know, and as they grow and become an adolescent, you know, they're able to, to really think about themselves. Um, and so even when, you know, those changes or the way that they're telling us about their identity um, changes, even when that really surprises us or we really disagree with it, um, it's actually really important, you know, for our relationship with them to, to respect, you know, their choices um, and their, you know, their opinions, you know, kind of agree to disagree, you know, on some things and, and just, just be willing to be open and listen to them. Um, and, you know, if we can kind of keep up our communication, you know, in another um, podcast, we talked about, you know, communication skills with our teens. Uh, when we can keep that up, you know, then then that relationship can maintain even if, you know, we have very different, you know, interests or value systems or, or even have a difficult time understanding kind of, you know, what they're going through. Um, at least we can just let them know that we're we're still here and we love them, you know, that they'll always be, you know, our child. Um, and And that's just, you know, that's a it's kind of like as a parent, we have to take the higher road and, you know, not shame them um, for ultimately, you know, being different than how maybe we imagined that they would be, you know. But I also think not to be afraid. I love everything that you said there, um, Aaron. But I think as a parent, not to be afraid to see if you have a different opinion. My opinion's different but I still love you and I'm still I want to learn from you and you're my yeah you're my child and even though we have different opinions I still love you no matter what I think it's a really good um, message to give your teenager especially if there are differences in what their values are and I, you know Karen I'm glad that you brought that up but I, and it's also about keeping that connection Right. And sometimes when we try to get our kids to talk to us, you know, about their who they are, um, they may say, I don't want to talk to you, you know, or leave me alone. Um, But just continue to keep trying to connect, find ways, you know, get interested in what they're, you know, what they're interested in doing. You know, if they're into playing video games, go upstairs and sit with them, you know, take an interest in what they're doing. It's just keeping um, connected with them, staying connected. That's so key. Yeah. And like Karen said, you know, asking, asking them to teach us about, you know, what it is that they like, you know, if, you know, right now 
almost all of my teens are going through, well, maybe it's a phase, maybe it's like their lifelong kind of, you know, interest and identity, but they all really love anime and they watch so many different, you know, anime shows on Netflix now and, you know, and reading the subtitles and really into it, you know. Um, and so I've just, I'm not familiar with that. So I started just, you know, asking and watching with them and, you know, trying to learn, you know, and, and whatever it is, you know, that they or kids might be, you know, interested in or going through, you know, just when we express interest in what, in what they like, you know, um, it shows respect for what their interests are and it, and it makes them probably more likely to want to talk to us about that and other things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so empowering if we, um, create space to learn from younger people, because I think in our culture, you know, we often think like, you know, young people are learning, they don't know as much as, you know, older people, but, um, you know, we, I learned so much from teens. And when you do let them be a teacher, you're actually building them up, right? When you're asking them those questions, you're building their confidence up and too. I like that. I think that it's really important for us to just be real mindful parents. So that let our words and our actions have a purpose. Now, obviously we can't do that 24 seven because we go into automatic pilot But in the areas that matter, I think we just need to be real mindful. So even as our kids are expressing an opinion that is different than our own, we have to know that our response is teaching them something. So it's okay to say, huh, that's an interesting opinion. Let me tell you my thoughts on that. Let me share my thoughts so that they also know that disagreement can live in the same household can live in the same conversation, right? I think part of the problem we have in so many different areas is that we can't have conversations that um, are differing from one another. But how much more we grow when we hear what different opinions are. And it might change our opinion. It might not. It might even cement them, which there's nothing wrong with that either. But really modeling that differences can live in the same household, can live in the same conversation, can live in that minute together, I think is really important. And just as parents, you know, when just like what you're saying, you know, being mindful at those right moments, it's also maybe just in that right moment, you might still make a mistake. <laughs> and I think, you know, that, that's okay because you can always go back always go back and you can always say to your teenager look I'm sorry I didn't mean to respond that way to you um I I, I want to hear your opinion and I made a mistake and I think it's good for for teenagers to know that parents a make mistakes and that too you can go back and you can say sorry and you can be vulnerable, which actually is a good role model for them to come back to you and say sorry and allow themselves to be vulnerable. Yeah. I think we're as parents, we're so hard on our on ourselves, right? Um we're, we're we are the biggest critic of how we parent, and it's important to have grace and to be able to, you know, we're not gonna be get it right all the time, and that's okay. Um, We're not perfect parents, but I think it's important to remind ourselves of that. Um, 
that we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Um, and I love it is being able to go back and having a sense of humility and being able to go back to our kids that I am so sorry. Right. And forgiving ourselves for making those mistakes, but, um, it's having grace. I think that's a really good note to end this segment on, right? With those two key words of grace and humility, not only for ourselves and us practicing it, but also modeling it for our kids because they will also pick that up and we need to have grace and humility in all those areas. Building Resilience is a project of King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, or KSARC, which is located in Renton, Washington. KSARC works to provide direct services to all victims and survivors of sexual assault in King County, Washington. Visit our website at kcsarc.org and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at kcsarc. Or send us an email at education at kcsarc.org. If you've experienced sexual assault or abuse, know that you are not alone. There are lots of resources to support you in your healing process. Programs similar to KSARC exist around the country. Visit the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, or RAIN, at rainn.org to find a community sexual assault program near you. Thank you to Marie Peretta, Karen Cope, Erin Esteban, and Deanne Yamamoto for content in this episode. Dante Ariaga and Ashley Bessie for tech support, and a special thanks to our super producer, Logan Bessie, on editing, consulting, and mastering the audio, and for the immense support in making this project possible.